take control. And now you might be saying to yourself, oh my gosh, how can I take control? I can feel completely powerless in what's going on. Yeah, you are. I can take control of the bleeding going on in my body, but I can take control of everything else around me. Hey everyone, and welcome to yet another episode of Entering Motherhood, a podcast dedicated specifically to new moms going through this amazing journey in life. I'm your host, Sarah Bilger, a postpartum nutritional coach slash mechanical engineer. And as always, I'm so excited to be here with you and share all of the information I've been lucky enough to obtain since becoming a mom. In this episode, we talk with Carrie Creed about how she learned to take control of what she could control and the power of what can happen when we chase our dreams and share our story with others. Hello, and welcome to Entering Motherhood. I am super excited to have you here today. So how about you go ahead and introduce yourself for our listeners? Thank you so much, Sarah. My name is Carrie Creed. I'm an international motivational speaker and a coach for women um, who have gone through a traumatic pregnancy or childbirth experience. And I live in outside of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania in the United States with my husband and my two young children. Awesome. So how about you go ahead and start off by telling us, you know, a little bit about your story of entering motherhood. Yeah. Wow. I have such a unique, interesting story of entering motherhood. It's something that, uh, you know, becoming a mom has been something I dreamed about since I was a little girl. You know, some girls dream about becoming a mom and some girls don't. And I was definitely the girl who dreamed about becoming a mom and babysat from the early ages. And, you know, once uh, my husband and I dated for six years before we got married in our late twenties and we traveled the world after we got married for a few years and wanted to make sure that we were ready to have children. And we had our first son in 2000, or our first child, I should say, in 2015, uh, Tristan. And uh, I was, what makes my story so detailed and interesting is I have a whole bunch of health conditions. I have Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, which is a rare connective tissue syndrome, and it affects my joints and my ligaments. And so I was a high-risk pregnancy, and I was monitored very closely throughout that pregnancy. I was very worried about how that would change my body. I've had major surgery on my leg 16 years earlier. Uh, I almost had it amputated, so I was very high-risk. High-risk for delivery, high-risk for gaining weight and having it be too difficult for my leg. So thankfully, that pregnancy went very well, besides the normal sick in the morning and not feeling good. Um, but it went, went very well. He was breech and would not flip. So I did have a cesarean with him at 38 weeks. Uh, they did not want to wait any longer in case I would go into natural childbirth or natural delivery. So uh, 38 weeks, had a cesarean with him uh, and everything went well. My recovery was lengthy, but all is, all is good. And I uh, had a you know, beautiful son, Tristan, in 2015. And that's when I became a mother. But it wasn't until a couple years later that... I decided, and my husband and I decided that our family, you know, wasn't complete. And even though I, quote unquote, lucked out with not having any challenges during that pregnancy, we decided to to try again. So um, thankfully, we uh, we were able to get pregnant fairly fast. And I was pregnant with my daughter in 2017. We found out I was having a little girl um, early on. I was. Over 35, I think it was 36 at the time. So it's the good old geriatric pregnancy where you can find out the sex of the baby early and make sure everything is, everybody's healthy and happy. That's when stuff started to change though. And at my 20 week anatomy scan, I found out I had placenta previa. And for your listeners that don't know, placenta previa is when your cervix lies low and it covers, or your, sorry, your placenta lies low and covers your cervix. And so the baby has no exit point. And in that case, she would require a C-section. Well, when I was told this, I didn't really think much of it because I was going to need to have a C-section anyways. So to me, it really didn't seem like that big of a deal, right? You know, they, they pointed out I had to have a C-section. And I was like, well, I was going to have another one anyways. Um, they told me I had a, a chance of bleeding. Um, I do have a, a blood clotting condition. So I was taking blood thinners and my husband was giving me daily injections in my stomach. So the doctor did say to me, well, you do have an increased chance of bleeding with placenta previa. And this is when it got kind of nerve wracking. If you do bleed, you need to go right to the hospital or call 911 because you're on a blood thinner and you can hemorrhage. 
And I said, okay. And so I left that appointment and I was a little upset, but again, didn't really think much of it. Continued on the way. Um, I'm also um, in sales in the financial technology industry and I'm, I work full time there and I have my side business uh, with this. And I continued traveling. It was December. I was a busy, you know, working mom and um, I was traveling the world. I was in Germany for work. I was in Seattle. I was all over the country, all over the world. And then I was put on a travel ban the week before Christmas. And when I saw my OB and they put me on a travel ban, I was starting to get a little confused of why. And I felt like I wasn't getting all of the information about the danger that I was potentially in. And then I started to get that information. And what's interesting is I got through the holidays and January 5th, 2018 came. And at that time, I ran an errand during my lunch hour, went into motherhood maternity to return a pair of leggings, and I felt a gush. And when you're pregnant, you might know this, even as a, a woman, you know, you sometimes get some wetness down there and it's some natural, you know, good old discharge. And knowing that I could bleed at any point, I always was very mindful of that. And when that happened throughout the last, you know, 20 some weeks, I'd always, you know, go to the restroom real quick and just make sure I was okay. But this was different. And I knew this was different. I knew either my water was breaking or I was hemorrhaging. And I excused myself to the restroom and I was hemorrhaging. And uh, I immediately called 911, called my, uh, my husband, uh, knew how to get to a high-risk hospital, stayed super calm, went over all my medical information because I was terrified I'd pass out and they wouldn't know how many weeks pregnant or why I was bleeding or my whole health history. And I went to the hospital. And long story short, after getting to one hospital and then making sure the baby was okay, I transferred to another hospital. And I stayed for 65 days on bed rest. So 65 days on bed rest, as you can imagine, is a long, long, long time. Now, it wasn't my first time on bed rest because I talked a little bit about my other challenges with Ehlers-Danlos and I had spent over pretty much a year on bed rest, 73 days in the hospital with my leg and another six months at home and another five months at the Ronald McDonald house when I was 20 years old. So that story is a whole nother one for a different day, different podcast. But this wasn't my first rodeo and my friends had said, hey, Carrie, you've done this. You can do this. Like, you've got this, girlfriend. And, and I said, yeah, you're right. I do. I can do this. And what's interesting is I immediately knew the strategies to put in place to make that experience successful. I didn't know them 16 years ago with my leg, but I knew them now because I figured them out then and I decided to repeat them. And, you know, at the moment in the hospital, I didn't know if I was staying two days, a week, two weeks, if I deliver in a week or two days. I mean, the doctors kind of shared with me later that they never thought I'd be there for 65 days, that they thought I would bleed again in a week or two. And because I did bleed on and off that week um, every other day. So I did bleed for a full week after I checked in, but I decided to take control. And everyone listening, when you are going through something challenging in your life, take control. And now you might be saying to yourself, oh my gosh, how can I take control? I can feel completely powerless in what's going on. Yeah, you are. I couldn't take control of the bleeding going on in my body, but I can take control of everything else around me. How I felt, how my mindset was, what activities I did, who I allowed to visit me, who I allowed to talk to me, when they came, what I ate what music I listened to, what book I read, what social media I stayed on or off. Those are all the things I controlled. And even thinking about that, I have like goosebumps right now because I took such control that I, A, immediately said, I need to keep working. Because I knew as an extremely type A mama that if I stopped working all of a sudden and went from working 12 hour days to nothing, my brain would not only freak out, but I would have all this spare time to think about what was going on and that I wouldn't be able to stay positive. So I needed to stay busy and I decided to do that. And I stayed working and I controlled my work and I actually controlled when the doctors could come see me. I told them I had conference calls and visitors from certain times of the day and they were allowed to come see me at XYZ times. And they looked at me like I was absolutely insane, but guess what? I did it and they listened. Now, there was some certain times that like the times didn't work for them because they were in surgery and then we adapted a little bit and they only needed to come in for about two minutes a day just to make sure I was okay. So it wasn't a long, a long time. And sometimes I'd be on a conference call listening and I'd mute it and they'd come in and give me a 
hey, you're right, Carrie, any blowout, you feeling okay, we're good, all right, see you tomorrow. So we made it work and they respected that. I also decorated my hospital room, which I like to say my hotel room to make it feel like I was traveling on business, <laughs> so much so that it was better than any dorm room you would ever see. So I literally, um, they had a banner made that said, keep on cooking baby sister. I had a wall of motivation that I had printed out or I screen grabbed different quotes and had my husband print them out and I cut them out and taped them all over my wall. Of course, my friends and family sent me a, a incredible arrangements of flowers. Uh, my son who was two at the time who turned three when I was in the hospital made me artwork. I hung up all my ultrasound pictures. So, and you can see some of these pictures on my website at carriecreed.com because it's, it's, it's crazy what my room looked like. And in the moment when I was there, I didn't recognize how insane it was until about a year after my, my birth of my daughter, when I look back at pictures that now I know when people came to visit me that their faces were like, oh my God, look at this room. And I used to always think like, really, there's just a couple things hung up. It was insane. Like I, but I, but I was in it that I couldn't see what they all saw because I had to fill my, like fill my whole body with so much positivity and joy to get rid of just the blandness of a, of a hospital room. You know, I had an Amazon Alexa and I listened to Enya and Nora Jones and calming spa music 24 seven. Um, I stayed off social media. I did not Google what was going on with me. I did not go into support groups at that time because I was hearing a lot of scary stuff because what had happened is the only time I was able to leave my room was for an ultrasound every Monday. I was not allowed to go in the halls. Um, I was confined to bed. I was able to use the bathroom, but that's it. And so that Monday field trip to the ultrasound room, which was literally down the hall, felt like I was going to Disney World. <laughs> In fact, I videotaped it one day to like rewatch it on my phone. That sounds so pathetic, but it just felt so good to like see another hallway. And, you know, going there uh, three weeks after being in the hospital, the doctors were surprised I didn't have another bleed and I was still there and they were considering, you know, sending me home. And the risk to that was, was very large because where I lived and the distance from the hospital and I did not want to go home. I didn't feel like that was safe. Because the day before I had the hemorrhage, we had a huge snowstorm. And if I had it at my house, an ambulance would not have been able to get to me. So I didn't feel in the months of January that that would have been safe. And they had said, well, let's go to your ultrasound. Let's see how things are progressing if they are. But if they're not, and they've kind of stayed the same, we, we really need to have a conversation. So good news and bad news, which is how it was presented to me. The, 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 the good news, I guess, was that I was staying at the hospital because that's what I had wanted to feel safe. The bad news is that um, my condition greatly worsened and turned into placenta accreta. And placenta accreta is when your placenta grows into your uterus. And so after you deliver either via C-section or a vaginal delivery, once the baby is removed, your placenta naturally detaches from your uterus and comes out. When you have placenta accreta, it has, your placenta has grown into your uterus and therefore will not detach. And as your body does the natural contracting of its uterus for your placenta to be released and your placenta is not able to be released, you actually start hemorrhaging and bleeding. And this is when it gets very dangerous when this condition is not diagnosed prior to delivery. You have a normal delivery, the baby comes out, the mommy's happy, and they try to get the placenta out, they tug, it may rip, and then you have a massive hemorrhage and they're not prepared. And that's when this condition is very scary. Thankfully for me, they knew about it in advance. So with placenta accreta, um, even though you know about it in advance, it becomes a life-threatening condition because in order to get your placenta out, you have to have a hysterectomy. Your whole uterus has to be removed. And you need to have a, a large vertical scar, no longer that small horizontal scar. They need to have access to get the baby out as fast as possible, to get your uterus out as fast as possible, because as they're removing your uterus, it's, con it's continuing to contract. You're continuing to hemorrhage. You typically need a blood transfusion. You could have an ICU stay. Your baby's going to be delivered early. You're going to be under general anesthesia and miss the birth. And as you're all thinking, oh my God, this is a lot. This is how this was all presented to me one day. And I remember like staring at my OB thinking, oh my God, wait a second. Like everything I had wished for, for the birth of my child is like completely thrown out the window. And everything I thought for the remainder of my pregnancy is completely thrown out the window. 
And, you know, when they told me I couldn't carry my, my daughter later than 34 weeks because the rest of my life was too great, you know, I immediately think of, okay, now she has to go to the NICU. So now we have a NICU experience and she's doing great. And then I, the guilt that I felt is they're delivering my daughter early when she's comfy and doing great and not in stress. And it's going to have to go through, you know, potential, maybe there's a lifelong medical challenge. Maybe there's not, but, you know, go through the stress of, of the NICU experience for her and her lungs not being developed because of me. And that was a really hard thing for me to, for me to grieve or handle. Um, but I had to put that aside. I had to say, okay, my goal is to get to 34 weeks because the closer I get there, the better chance she is and the healthier she will be. And at that point, once you get past like 30 weeks, 28 weeks, 29 weeks, 30 weeks, 31 weeks, the, the, every week you get at that point, it's critical. And every, every time you get a little closer to a full-term pregnancy, the, the better chance your, your baby is. And so Every time I looked at my homemade calendar on my wall and crossed off a day in the morning when I woke up and I didn't have hemorrhage over the night was another win. And I celebrated that win and I counted down those next days. And, you know, even though I was completely overwhelmed with the fact that I was going to be under general anesthesia and miss the birth of my daughter, which was really hard to stomach, probably the hardest one to stomach that my husband would be in the waiting room, that he would miss the birth, that I would miss the birth, that I would wake up not knowing if I'd be in the ICU, not knowing if my surgery was eight hours or two hours, not knowing how bad things went, you know, not knowing how critical my condition would be and just having faith was really, really difficult. And then knowing that my future, you know, fertility was taken from me. And at that point, I don't know if my husband and I were going to have another child. We had a boy and a girl, not that once you have a boy or a girl, you're done, but we always wanted between two and three. And it's really hard to have that decision taken from you, right? Even if we had decided we weren't gonna have you, just having that taken from you is a really hard thing to go through. And as my daughter, you know, turned one and a half, two, when we had the conversation when my son was one and a half, two, like, are we gonna have another one knowing that, you know, we're not gonna have that conversation was, was difficult and things I definitely worked through in therapy. But going back to, to the story, you know, taking control of your situation and, and you know, staying as positive as you can in the moment and not letting other people affect your positivity or letting their negativity go on you when you're going through this time is by far the most important thing, you know, and building yourself up. Like this is the time when you tell yourself, I can do this. I'm so much stronger than I think I am. Like I can do this. I went through yesterday. I've got through yesterday. I can get through today. Taking it day by day. And it sounds, it almost sounds childish to some to be like, I don't need to tell myself I've got this. I don't need to put a sticky note on my, my, you know, my, uh, my journal or my mirror or anything. Like I don't need to do that. Yeah, you do. You know, do you need to do that on a normal Monday or Friday when you're on your way to work? Maybe not. Do you need to do that when you're going through a major challenge? Yeah. Cause it really, really, really helps to remind yourself because you've got these inner workings in your body that's fighting against you right? Your body's fighting against you to try to convince yourself that you probably can't do this and you're going to fail. It's like the angel and the devil. And you've got to work really hard for the other workings inside your body to say, no, I can do this. I will do this because I'm going to prove to people that I am stronger than they even think I am. And I'm going to prove to myself that I'm stronger than I even am. And every time somebody doubted me throughout the process, not that they would doubt me to my face, but you know, people are like, oh my gosh, how is she doing? Has she lost it yet? A lot of people lose it in the hospital and they check themselves out. You know, in fact, a mom checked herself out the day before I got admitted. Um, she just couldn't handle it anymore. And it's really, it's a whole mental game. It's, I mean, to be in at the tiniest room for that long, to not be with your husband, not be with your child, it's really difficult. And, you know, the control that I took with, scheduling the visitors. And I found out if I had two, the, two more than two visitors a day actually hurt me. It didn't help me. And it was too tiring. It was too exhausting. Telling people how I was doing or having people wanting to know the story more, wanting details. It just, it didn't work for me. And so I found out that no more than two a day and I needed to space them out. It needed to be morning and afternoon or afternoon and evening. They couldn't be back to back. And so that's the control I took. So if people are asking you how to help, be honest. If it's bring a meal, you know, people were giving me lots of gifts. And I said, Hey, don't give me any more gifts. I, I, I trust me. I love them. They cheered me up. But if you want to give me 
if you want to give me something, send something here for my son. So when he comes to visit, he has a special like coloring book or a book for us to read. And I had a little toy box for him. And like once in a while, he had a surprise in there. And that was so created so much joy and special moments. And people loved that suggestion. And then, and they, you know, they send a couple things in for him. And so it's hard to sometimes think of what you need. Um, but I think deep down, a lot of people know, and they're just afraid to ask. And they don't want to seem selfish or greedy or needy. Um, but if it's a meal, ask. If it's like, hey, I need someone to go home to my house and make sure my toilets are clean. Or like, can someone go like iron my son's clothes for school? Because I feel like he's going to look horrible. Like, I know this is trivial stuff, but like, if that's what you cared about. Like, when my son had, this is going to sound insane, but when my son had his birthday party. I had mailed out the invitations the day before I hemorrhaged and all the RSVPs came into me and I didn't let people know I was in the hospital for about the first two weeks. My very close friends knew and obviously my family knew, but like social media didn't know. And so I was receiving RSVPs for this birthday party, which I knew I wouldn't be attending and it was completely fine. And I didn't let that trigger me because again, I didn't know where I would be in five weeks. I could have had a baby. I could be home. I, I who knows? Um, I could also be in the ICU. I could, I could also be dead. I, I just didn't know. And so when I was still in the hospital and I knew I was going to be missing that party, my one girlfriend who was amazing FaceTimed with me throughout the entire sports party. So she literally ran around the field chasing kids with her phone to show me the party. And I felt so a part of it. And I had a professional photographer there because I always do that because I'm crazy into birthday parties. But believe it or not, the one thing that bothered me the most was I wanted, when the picture got taken of him blowing out the candles on his cake, I wanted to make sure the number three was shown forward to the photographer and not to him. And I must have told that to the photographer, the workers at the place, three of my best friends, my mom who was going to be there. I obsessed, obsessed about this number three candle. Because in the moment, that was just something I felt I could control. And that's okay. Looking back on it, I see how trivial it was. And I did a couple other very trivial things. But you know what? That's okay. That was my way of doing something for me during that party. So if you find yourself doing that, I want you to give yourself some grace and not to beat up on yourself. And if other people are telling you, that's crazy, don't worry about that, be like, no, 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 this is important to me. And thankfully, my friends and my mom and everyone, no one said that doesn't matter. Everyone said, Carrie, we've got this. We've got this for you. Don't worry about a thing. And that's what meant the most to me, is finding the people that are willing to support you in the way you need support. And what I found, you know, afterwards, and I'll give you the, the quick rundown is I did get to 34 weeks and I did get to March 6th. I checked in on January 5th and I did have my baby girl at 34 weeks. And she, uh, she was actually in, 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 in wonderful condition. She did go to the NICU for 18 days. She had uh, some uh, undeveloped lung. She was, it was like five pounds though. My placenta, the only thing it did do well was nourish her. My placenta was the size I would have been if I was having triplets, they said. So she was very well nourished. The biggest baby in the NICU um, just had some breathing challenges and eating challenges, but you know was able to come home after 18 days. Uh, uh, you know I was able to come home four days after my uh, my hysterectomy. My surgery went very well. Uh, I did have a blood transfusion. I did have a hysterectomy. I did not need to go to the ICU though, which was a wonderful, pleasant surprise. The doctors did an amazing job and kept me stable. Um, and I was able to return home. And, you know, by the end of the month on March 24th, I took my daughter home and we were finally a family of four at home. And at that point is where, you know, things shifted for me on my support that I needed. Because what I found is when you're going through a challenge, when I was in the hospital, or if you're going through a medical challenge at home or have a diagnosis, or your child has a diagnosis or something's going on in the moment, everyone's there to help you. Everyone's sympathetic. Everyone wants to do anything they can to help you, which is so wonderful. But the moment I came home and my daughter came home, poof, the challenge was over. Carrie's home. Carrie's alive. The baby's here. Tenley's great. They're all home. They're moving on with their life. Yes. Next thing. And it was amazing because the trauma that I had went through was nowhere near over in my mind. 
to live with the idea that I could die for 65 days and leave my husband a widow and my three-year-old son without a mom and my daughter never meeting her mom. And hopefully if she even made it was so overwhelming. And even though I tried to not think about it a lot, I think I did a really good job staying very positive in the hospital. I'm very, I'm very, very proud of how I did there mentally. But the side effect of that is those emotions have to come up at some point. They just have to, you have to address them at some point. And that's where I definitely felt the lacking of support from family and from some friends because no one could understand what I was feeling unless they went through a similar traumatic childbirth experience. And I kept trying to talk to my friends about it. I kept trying to talk to family members about it and they didn't get it. I, I, I heard the, Carrie, you're alive. Tenley's alive. You did it. Move on. The amount of times I heard move on, get over it, was horrendous. I mean, I wanted to revisit it. I wanted to know what my husband was told in the OR or in the waiting room of the OR. I wanted to know how many times I got updated. I wanted to know what it was like when he met my daughter, our daughter for the first time. I wanted to know what the mood was. I wanted to know like how scared he was. I wanted to know if, you know, I wanted to know all those gory details that no one really wants to talk about because everything, everybody turned out okay but I was so afraid to talk about it in advance. And this is where, if you have gone through a traumatic pregnancy or childbirth experience and you are listening to this and you feel yourself going, oh my gosh, I'm just like her. I can't get past what I went through. If you're having scary thoughts, if you're ashamed of those thoughts, I was so ashamed of what I was thinking. I was so ashamed of the dark thoughts that I had about myself, about my child about how I couldn't snap out of it, of how I didn't want to go back to work when I'm extremely career, career driven. I was so ashamed that it took me so long to even admit to my therapist what I was thinking. But if I had someone or community to talk to that I knew that those thoughts were actually normal and not normal in the sense that a therapist tells you they're normal because like, oh, it's okay you're having those thoughts, but like so normal that everyone has those thoughts because it's part of the process. I would have felt so much less alone and I would have felt so validated and just okay. Like I didn't feel okay because I didn't feel it was right for me to feel the things I was feeling. And I didn't think it was right for me to still be wanting to think back to what I went through and not wanting to pass it on and not wanting just to move on. If I knew that this was completely normal and that this is what exactly what other moms go through, I would have... I think I would have healed faster because I wouldn't have been so ashamed and I wouldn't have hid it from myself and from others so much longer. You know, and that's basically at four months postpartum is when I was diagnosed with PTSD. And when I received that diagnosis, it was because really, for lack of a better term, like the shit hit the fan. And I all of a sudden around four months got angry. I had rage. I saw ads for maternity clothes in my Instagram feed, and it would make me so angry. I, I would never wear maternity clothes again. I would have no longer have a chance of being pregnant. I never had maternity pictures because I was in the hospital. I didn't get the cute like end of the end of the term big bump and like when everyone goes like, "Oh, look at you!" I didn't have that. Um, when I saw people deliver a baby and have the, the baby put on their chest with that moment, like that beautiful golden hour, they call it, or just like the feeling of the baby putting their chest that I got with my cesarean with my son. When I saw those pictures, I was sad. I was angry. I was livid. And that list goes on and on and on about how I was triggered. And when it came throughout the day at random times, I would just cry and be angry. But I, my poor husband, I was just such a I was so rude. I was just such an evil, evil person that I, and when it happened, I didn't know what was happening. It just all kind of came out. And that's when that diagnosis really, really um, came. And that's when I really started working on it. And, you know, I did find, thankfully, that my therapist uh, figure, uh, was certified in EMDR therapy, which is eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. And we went through this very intensive therapy. And I can definitely say that that healed me. And it's very intense. Um, it causes a lot of additional anxiety. It brings up all trauma in your life, even traumas you don't even know still bothers you, which was also very interesting. And after I healed from that about you know a year, 18 months later is when I really said to myself, wow, I was at rock bottom and now I'm at the top. And 
I'm not at the same top as I was before, but I actually think it's a better top. And I now understand a whole lot more about myself, about motherhood, about postpartum, about PTSD, about healing, about trauma. And I felt this drive to help other women. And I'd always wanted to do, you know, become a motivational speaker and write a book about my whole situation with my leg surgery, because that is just an unbelievable, incredible story. Um, that was two years of my life. And, you know, life got busy. And then after going through this and experiencing the wide range of mental health that I had during it, which was polar opposites to being like so positive and dominating the experience in the hospital, like I couldn't have done that any better. And I was told that by so many people to then really falling rock bottom at four months postpartum and then rising back up. I really felt that there was such a need for support for women after they go through this traumatic experience. And that's why I created the community I did. And, you know, that's why I'm so passionate about really making sure that moms feel supported and feel validated and know that once their trauma is over, it's not over. It's actually just the beginning. There is so much to unpack from your story. And there is so many, you know, like good pieces of, of knowledge and everything that you have obtained going through all of that. And, you know, I think just starting off, even when you were saying that gush of blood happened at the store and you were able to stay so calm. I think that was so shocking for me to hear because I think normally if that kind of thing would happen, you know, you panic. And like for you to be able to stay so calm, even from the beginning. And then when you were saying like you were in the hospital and your friends were like, oh, you got this because of your leg surgery. And you were like, yeah, I do. To be able to have that reassurance and that confidence, even from that early point, what kind of, you know, looking back on it now was going on in your head and where do you feel that confidence came from to be able to remain calm and then also to tell yourself and know yourself so well of, you know, I need this, I want that, like to know your boundaries and to be able to quickly get to that point. Where do you feel that, that knowledge kind of started from? You know what? I really, I, I feel that things happen for a reason and it's such a cliche But when I had my leg surgery and went through that tremendous trauma and the length of time at such a young age, I couldn't figure out why that happened to me and my whole life changed. Now I know why that happened. I truly feel that if I didn't go through that hurdle 16 years earlier, that my outcome with my daughter would have been entirely different because I wouldn't have stayed calm. I wouldn't have known the strategies. I probably wouldn't have kept working. I would have said like, I'm done. I'm on maternity leave. I would have sat in my room. I probably would have fallen fallen into a depression. I would have been Googling everything. My anxiety would have went sky high. My blood pressure would have raised. The baby would have been in distress. They probably would have had to deliver. But I knew that if I could conquer what I did 16 years earlier, which in my mind at the time was going to be harder because again, you don't know what your outcome is going to be, right? Like if I knew day one that I'd be there for 65 days, I might've flipped out, like I, <laughs> but I didn't know that. I didn't know if I'd be there for two days, a week. I, I didn't know. And sometimes not knowing helps you. Like with my leg surgery, I was supposed to miss a semester of college. I missed two years. So you don't know the amount of time, but what helped me with this is you can't carry your baby for two years. I knew my due date was April 15th. The longest I could be would be April 15th. Now I was only able to go to March 6th. So to me, this was such a short-term pain that I had to work through. My leg surgery, that could have went on for years. There was no like end in, in sight. Like there was no end of like healing or anything like that. Like this was such a finite experience. So that helped me. It, it helped me to know that there was a date on it. Now, when there's not a date on it, you don't want to get yourself stressed out that it could last forever. That's when you want to stay in the know, in the moment, in a day by day. Because if you get yourself overworked of like, but in two weeks from now, I have X, Y, Z. Nope, you can't go there. Can't go there. You have to stay in the moment because in two weeks, things could be entirely different. Even by the end of the week, things could be entirely different. So, you know, as far as staying calm with the hemorrhage, 
I am still slightly surprised at like how calm I was and how I went into like full doctor mode of regurgitating all of my health condition to the 911 operator. I think they thought like, who is this woman? I mean, it was like, it was legit. And meanwhile, the one, the woman working at motherhood maternity was freaking out and like full, she was full in panic. And I was like, dude, you gotta, you gotta relax. Cause you're, you're making me a little, you gotta just settle down. And she was lovely, but she was definitely panicking. Um, I think I just learned that if you really going back to taking control, like if I didn't tell the 911 operator all the information and something happened, that's my own fault. Like I took control in that moment to give myself the best, the best possible outcome. And so you have to really think to yourself, is freaking out in this moment going to help you or hurt you? And that's not to say I didn't freak out later. Like once I got to the hospital and got settled in and like that night I had a good cry and that next day I was like, okay. I, then I settled down. I wrote a list of questions to talk to the doctor about, and they, you know, they were a little more honest with me. And the next day, I they were like, "Okay, you only need to be here for like two days after you stop bleeding." And they were kind of dragging me out a little bit. And I think it was like day three. I said, "I'm not going anywhere, am I?" And she looked at me and she said, "You're not." And I said, "I didn't think so." And she goes, "We just didn't, couldn't tell you that when you checked in because some people would freak out." So we had a you know, ease you into the idea of being here for a couple days and checking you and then talking you down and, you know, talking about all the different things. And so that is just a normal tactic, right? To ease people into the shock of trauma. And if they told me that day I checked in, I was going to be there forever, I probably would have been like, oh my gosh. But at that time I was like, okay, oh, might just be here a day or two. So it, it does help just staying in the moment. Yeah. And so one thing you said, is this going to help me or hurt me? And I think, you know, like that's such a beautiful question to be able to ask yourself in the moment and really kind of like help through situations. Do you have any other questions that maybe you've learned to kind of ask yourself in in situations like this or, or questions that you sort of like relay to moms that might be going through these difficult situations to really kind of like tune in and figure out. Cause I think a lot of the times we challenge or we're challenged with like, what do we want? You know, what are those difficult questions that we should ask? I think we're stuck in this freeze moment of, I don't know what I want. I don't like, you know, you can hear somebody say like, Oh, like, you know, take control and, and figure out what you want. But if you've never asked yourself even that simple question of like, what do I want? What are some ways that we can kind of progress to that point of figuring out what's going to be best for us, how to know ourselves better, how to, you know, really wrap ourselves around that concept? It's a great question. And I really think it has to do with listening to your own body. And what I mean by that is when you're anxious, your heart stops, starts beating a little faster, right? Sometimes you have your shoulders that lift up. Sometimes you get a headache. Sometimes you start breathing heavy. Sometimes your stomach hurts. You need to understand your own sensations. And we can all do that right now, even if we're not going through trauma or not recovering from trauma, right? If we get bad news or we're nervous about a presentation or nervous about an upcoming doctor's appointment or nervous about a conversation we have to have with our spouse or anything that gets us a little anxious, how do we feel? And so when you personally feel like that, you need to dive deep and say, what makes me feel better? Personally, what makes me feel better is I talk to myself and I do the self like the affirmations and I'm like, Carrie, nothing to be nervous about. You've got this. You've got this. You can do this. Take a deep breath and I'll take a couple deep breaths and I'll breathe in for three seconds and breathe out for three seconds. And depending on what I'm doing. Am I giving a major speech that I just have nervous excitement, anxiety? Am I waiting for a test result? And, you know, what is the severity of the situation? And those self, you know, those positive affirmations are going to be a little bit different. Um, and I'm going to tell myself that no matter what happens, I'm proud of myself. No matter what happens, we're going to get through this. And it's like talking yourself off a ledge, right? It's like talking you yourself down to calm those internal um, triggers that you might have. So it's kind of just knowing your own body. What works for me might not work for you. And then as far as like thinking what else you need, some people during that time need space. Don't want anyone to hug them. Don't want anyone to talk to them. Some people want someone to hug them and need someone to give them the positive affirmations. So understanding what you need 
and knowing what you need ahead of time before you go through major trauma is going to be really helpful to prepare you for, God forbid, if you do have some trauma in your life, because you will know, okay, when I go through this, I like to be alone for like 10 hours or overnight. I don't want my husband or my spouse or my friends to talk to me. I like to be left alone under a weighted blanket in a dark room. And then I snap out of it in the morning. And if you know that, you're, everyone will leave you alone because they won't be worried about you. If you're the type of person that needs like five people at your house and your girlfriend's all there and you all want to you know, pass around a glass of wine and do tissues and talk, you need to know that. Because if you need that in the moment and you're not asking for that in the moment and you wait too long to invite those friends over, you've missed that healing process in your own body. So dig deep. My challenge to you is like kind of dig deep, figure out what your internal body triggers are and then what helps bring those back down to prepare yourself for the next time that you might need to recuperate from it. Okay. I have two more questions, I think, unless something else comes up. (laughs) But so one, what really caused you to want to help other people that that are either going through similar situations or that may go through similar situations? Like what really do you think was the moment or when did that spark? I know that you had said like during your leg surgery, you thought that was like something that you were going to do, be a motivational speaker, everything in there. And then things just kind of like didn't go through there. But like, you know, what really kept that drive going and why do you feel like you're so passionate about sharing your story. Cause I think, you know, like there are other people that have gone through situations and things like that. And like, we're just not ready to open up and share, or we just don't feel like that drive. Like, where do you think that's, that's coming from? And like, why, why do you feel so called to it? I've always been very driven. As a, as a very young girl, I've always been very, very driven, very type A. I was like the president of my class in school, a type, you know, straight A student. I've always just been very, very driven. Um, and I like being busy. I call it like crazy Carrie. You know, I like working crazy hours. I'm also the mom that takes like the monthly pictures of her kids when they're six and three now. I just did my son's like bear picture for he's 81 months old. Like people think like that, that stuff's important to me. I have you know, the scrapbooks and the albums and I'm the class mom. And I do a ton of stuff and a lot of people can't understand that. And it's a lot. And sometimes I'm overwhelmed by it, but it's who makes me, me. It's who that, that feeds me. It feeds my drive. I don't really know how to relax when I'm relaxing. I'm still doing something. That's a, a plus and a negative. Trust me. That's probably my worst quality. Like my biggest worst quality is that like, I can't relax and I get, I, I, I like to be too involved, but the exact moment I vividly remember this. The exact moment when I decided I wanted to do this was interesting enough. It was on the anniversary of my leg surgery. It was in September and it was a couple of years ago. And I was, um, there was a women's council uh, meeting to see Heather Monahan, and she was coming to Philadelphia to speak. And myself and like about seven other, eight other women in our company went to see her. And I remember sitting in the audience and I'm watching Heather Monahan, who's an incredible speaker about her career and how she shifted things. I'm watching her do exactly what I've always said I wanted to do and how she's impacting hundreds of women in the audience is exactly what I've always wanted to do. And I'm watching her in awe. And then I said to myself, as I'm there, Carrie, what are you doing? You've been talking about being a speaker, writing a book, helping others for like 16 years now. When are you going to do it? When are you going to do it? I know you're busy with kids. You're busy with your career. But what are you going to do when you're 90? That's going to be too late. And, and I said, you know, now is the time. I literally was like, this is it. I felt like I could have done it then. But the fact that going back to what I said a couple minutes ago, that I had hit such a rock bottom and now rose up. And I understand the differences of what moms go through. Like, I don't just have the great story to be like, you can do it. I hit rock bottom and I can share that. And I want to share that because I want to make people feel less alone. And so the fact that I did and then rose back up and then have my other story, I just, I literally want to scream it from the rooftops to help people, let them know they're not alone and they can get through what they're going through. And that night after seeing Heather Monaghan speak, I literally went home and started researching like, how to build a website, how to start an LLC. And I just 
found out very quickly that I cannot build a website myself. I'm just, it's not where my talent is. And I reached out to a couple different agencies. I started networking with people. I hired an agency. I signed a contract um, a month and a half later. We got working on a four-month project plan to develop my brand and website. And then I launched social media that next April. And it was a month after COVID hit. So it was all in the works. And then COVID hit, which affected it slightly. But it turned out to be a huge blessing in disguise because I did a lot, lots of virtual stuff, which I wouldn't have had the opportunity to do early on. And, you know, man, it's been such an interesting ride since I made that decision in October of 2019 and launched the website uh, in April of 2020. And I wouldn't trade it for the world. And where it's going now, and you know, right now I have almost 700 women I'm supporting in a private Facebook community, which by the way is totally free. And you can join and feel and explain your, introduce yourself and explain the trauma that you've been through and meet other women that have gone through similar and we talk a lot about positivity and there's great quotes in there. And I go live every Wednesday for a Wisdom Wednesday to give like tips and strategies on a particular topic. And, you know, that's what fulfills me. And just the other day, I had a woman reach out to me that found me on Instagram. And she said, Carrie, I just found you on a, based on a hashtag. And I have placenta previa and I'm 20 weeks pregnant. I got diagnosed with this early on. My doctor's super concerned it's something else. And she went on and on and on and told me a lot of different things. And what she was telling me was a lot different than what my doctors told me as what the prescribed plan is to do. And she was talking about, she wasn't feeling comfortable with the doctor she was with. And I asked her some questions and she said back, and I said, I'm like, if you don't feel comfortable with that doctor, and I actually don't agree with what they're telling you, and I'm no doctor, but it just seems very odd. Um, you should find somebody else to get a second opinion. And she did that yesterday and it met the most incredible doctor. And she said, Thank you for helping me feel validated. Everyone else just told me, trust the doctor, trust the doctor, he knows best. And I felt in my gut that this was wrong and you validated me and I now got a second opinion and I feel so good with where I am now. And that's why I do this. Helping that one person that now maybe is gonna have a better outcome, who's in the midst of it, and then helping the other person who is feeling so alone with having the dark thoughts and is afraid to talk and just wants to feel better and feels so stuck because she just wants to be the mom she's always dreamed she wants to be or that she was and now she wants to get back to that and that's who I was and that's who I'm looking to really help bring back because if I'm looking at like if you're listening to me now and you're like gosh that's exactly how I feel like you're still in there like I know you are still in there I was still in there I just had to be brought back out and that's why I want to help bring you back out yeah, well, I am so thankful that you are doing all of this and really, you know, even just me finding you and being able to listen to your story and and share everything that happened. I think it's amazing that and like that is the true kind of like ripple effect and that impact that, you know, we think like, oh, we're just one person. Like what could I possibly give to somebody else? And I think when we start sharing our stories and we start speaking up and we stop being afraid to ask those hard questions and we, you know, even just drop that feeling of like, what will my story give to anybody? Or like, you know, like that impact isn't really that great. I think, you know, you're such an example of what we can accomplish by just kind of breaking out and, and reaching out to other people and making them feel like they are not alone and that there is somebody else that's validating everything that they're saying. And so, you know, like, I'm so thankful for everything that you're doing and, and what's going on. And, you know, like, thank you. <laughs> thank you so just, much. And like, and like you said too, like, you know, like going and seeing that, speaker and being like, that's what I want to do. When we're able to see somebody else doing something that inspires us and we have that thought in our head of like, hmm, like that looks like something I want to do. There's a reason that that sparks in our head. There's a reason that we're feeling called to do these things. And like, I really feel like when we're able to tap into that and say like, you know, I want to do that too. And like, you have every right to go forward with that and try that and do that. And I think, you know, it's just, it's so amazing seeing people that are chasing those little whispers that are being presented to them and like not being afraid to kind of just like full force go into it. And, and it's so, scary. And, yeah. and, you know, if you, if you are, if you would have those 
those whispers. I love how you said that. If you have those whispers and you, you know, most people like push those down and obviously I pushed it down for a long time. I could have started this a long time ago. And if I did and I had the platform, I could have been sharing my experience with this whole thing as I was going through it. Maybe that would have completely evolved or maybe it would have crumbled. Who knows? Um, but those whispers are difficult to listen to and you have imposter syndrome and you know, you think you can't do it and now is not the right time. And you have all the, the naysayers being like, oh, you're not big enough or you're too old to do that or you don't have time to do that or you're going to miss out on too many things or all the excuses. But just do it because you'll yeah. always wonder. You'll always wonder. And that's why I'm, I'm actually just very proud of myself that I took the leap and I, and I wonder if I didn't see that speech that day, if I didn't go to see Heather Monahan, would I still be in the same spot today and being like, oh, I'll do it at some point? Or would something of else would have triggered me in that moment? I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. But- and like you said before, you know, everything happens for a reason. And I fully, fully believe that. And like, we might not know what that reason is in that moment. We might be like, oh, this sucks. Or like, oh, that was weird or whatever. But like everything is kind of like unfolding and happening for some some crazy reason down the line and whatnot. And and so, you know, I think you're you're such an amazing example of that. Oh, thank you so much. I, I really appreciate it. I'm so glad to have been on your show. I'm so glad to have met you. I think there's definitely some great opportunity for us to collaborate again in the future. So I really look forward to that. Yeah. Do you have any other like final piece of advice or something else that you really just wanted to like hit home again on for that new mom or somebody that's going through a traumatic experience or did go through trauma and really just kind of that one final message that you'd like to get across. My final message is when you're going through trauma or after, just take control. Take control of as many things you can. And that, like I said, they could be the simplest little things and make sure you're hanging out with the right people who support you. Don't let other people bring you down. And like I said, if you're, if you don't have the right community after you're healing from trauma, uh, shoot me a DM, come find me, uh, on Instagram, I'm birthtrauma.babymama. And I'd love to have you part of my community on Facebook. I'd love to just work with you individually. Um, you know, just, I want you to be validated because how you feel is completely okay. And don't ever let anyone else tell you it's not. Awesome. So how can we reach you? Where can we get in contact with you? I know you mentioned a few Facebook groups and, you know, you're on Instagram and everything like that and your website. Can you just kind of like compile that all? Yeah, you got it. You got it. So my website is carriecreed.com. Instagram is the best place to really find me. And my website's kind of more about my speaking and you can see some great pictures from my leg surgery and uh, the challenge with pregnancy. So there's some good, good background information for you there. Um, my best place to reach me is on Instagram, uh, birth trauma baby mama, uh, answer all my DMS. Um, I answer all the comments back. And then the Facebook group that I have is called the purposeful perseverance project. Uh, you can search that. You can also DM me. I'll give you the direct link. Um, and that's a, a private Facebook group, like I said, right now to, to help anyone who has gone through a traumatic experience. And it's an incredible community of positive moms all coming together. So it's pretty fantastic what's been created the last couple months. And I'd love to have you a part of it. Well, thank you again so much for really just coming on and sharing your story and everything that you've been through. Thank you so much, Sarah. It's such a pleasure to meet you. Well, this wraps up yet another episode of Entering Motherhood. I hope that you have found this episode helpful. And if you liked it, please share it with others who might also benefit from this information. If there's anything that you'd like to know more about, or maybe you know someone who'd like to be on the show, please visit my website, enteringmotherhood.com. I'm so thrilled to be going on this journey with you and getting the amazing opportunity to help moms during this postpartum experience. You can also now find us on Instagram and Facebook at Entering Motherhood. 